I'm Claire. And I'm Liz. And this is The Balancing Act, a podcast where we talk about law, life, and everything in between. Okay, welcome to The Balancing Act. This week we're going to be talking about fee structures. What are they? Who decides how they should be structured? And what are other things that we need to take into consideration when setting them up? So first of all, let's talk about the different types of fee structures that exist, because there's more than just the one. Yep. So a lot of people, I think when they think of attorneys, they probably think of, first of all, putting down a retainer, right? Because I think hearing retainer payment is pretty common. And then I think a lot of people think of paying an attorney on an hourly basis. And that is definitely one way that we operate fee structure wise, but there's also like a flat fee basis that sometimes attorneys will take cases on, which means you pay one flat fee for a designated amount of work, usually, or a designated case, right? How would you define that? Yeah. So uh, like a set set amount of either hours or documents to be drafted. So like, for example, with my estate planning clients, I do a flat fee and they know that it's going to be these meetings and these documents and that's what happens with the flat fee. And it is a one-time payment, although sometimes we do break it up into like two payments or something to just help with cash flow, but it's not an hourly going against a retainer. Yep, because when it's an hourly, when you're hiring an attorney on an hourly basis, what we say is basically you're filling up the gas tank, um, which is the retainer, and then an attorney would bill against your retainer on an hourly basis. And so in that case, it's not, I would say that's more for a case that's maybe a contested case, or it's not as defined as, for example, estate planning where you're going to be doing a will. And then there's unbundled. And I feel like that's also kind of confusing to explain. It's similar to flat fee. Yeah. And I think especially too, so there's the new Minnesota Unbundled Law Project, which is about a year old. And I think a lot of people are confused. They think it's more like a free legal service Hmm. rather than like unbundled is perfect if there's one thing that you're hiring an attorney to do. Like you're just hiring them to attend mediation or you're just hiring them to review a document and explain it to you, or you're just hiring them to coach and explain some legal concept to you. But the thing with Unbundled is you're not their attorney before and you're not their attorney after. You're only their attorney for like the two hours that you're being hired for, Um, which can be great in some circumstances. It it can really work well and make it really cost-effective for clients, but it seems like, especially in certain areas of law, it's much better to just hire the attorney on an hourly basis because you're going to have more than just the two hours of questions and help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I I do some cases on an unbundled basis, and as long as it's the right type of case, it's great. It works for the client, but sometimes unbundled is just not possible in a certain case. And an attorney, you know, if you consult with an attorney and ask, you know, for representation and you suggest 
unbundled and they tell you that your case really wouldn't work on an unbundled basis, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, which brings us really well into who decides how the structure should be done, what kind of fee arrangement there should be. And that's the attorney. Mm -hmm. But yes, the attorney decides because we use our experience and our training and our knowledge to know if your case will fit into flat fee, unbundled, hourly. There is also contingency fees, which neither Claire or I use. The PR, professional responsibility rules say like family law cases cannot be on a contingency basis. And I would assume estate planning is... There are some rules in some states that you can or cannot do like probate on a contingency fee Mm -hmm. because then obviously the bigger estates, you can get a lot of money on that. If Uh you even do a really low contingency fee, like two or three percent, but two or three percent of several million dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. But there are some areas of law that do contingency fee, like personal personal injury. injury or employment And again, like we were saying, who decides what kind of fee is used in a contingency fee um, arrangement? An attorney likely isn't going to want to take your case on a contingency basis unless they think that it will be worth it because they would be working for free until a settlement is reached. So... I I suppose it could be harder to find an attorney for a contingency fee case unless you have, like, a really great case. Yeah, I know some attorneys, too, who do contingency fee will do a combination of hourly and contingency fee. That makes sense. um, To help kind of offset their risk and the client's cost, too. But again, it's the attorney that, that decides. And so how do you know what fee plan is being used? Well, I think at least my clients would know because we would talk about their case and kind of talk about, you know, everyone wants to know what about how much is this going to cost. So then I would explain, personally, I would explain, you know, I think we could do your case on a flat fee basis or on an hourly basis. And then I use different retainer contracts for each type of fee arrangement because we need to spell out what that fee arrangement Right. So the client understands. Right. Um, And there's different ethical rules, too, that are required depending on what type of fee arrangement that you use as to what needs to be in the retainer contract. There's some additional language that's required in a flat fee contract, for example, that's not required in an hourly. But it would be spelled out in the retainer contract. And if the client ever has any question, you should always talk to your attorney about, well, why are you choosing hourly or flat fee or or whatever? Um, Because a good attorney can say, this is why it needs to be Mm -hmm. this one. Absolutely. And then there also is another kind of fee arrangement that basically is no fee, which is pro bono. And then I've heard of low bono in recent years. Pro bono cases means an attorney is representing you and not charging you at least for legal fees. You might have to pay. Like court fees or other professional fees, but you're not paying for the attorney's time. And 
A lot of attorneys take pro bono cases only through um, agencies who kind of pre-screen the cases. So for example, legal aid or volunteer lawyers network in in our area. Or like they, a domestic violence yeah. shelter. Mm-hmm. So like they're, you know, somewhat, usually there's some sort of system in place where the potential client is screened to make sure that they meet the income guidelines right. to qualify for a pro bono attorney, but then they ask for attorneys to do it. What is low bono though, Claire? So low bono or like a sliding fee scale can be beneficial if you make too much money to qualify for pro, like a pro bono service, but you still don't make quite enough money to hire an attorney on a traditional fee. Um, setting. And so attorneys all kind of set their different rates for what they consider low bono. Mm-hmm. So for some attorneys, their low bono is my regular hourly rate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but for others, you know, they'll, they'll maybe either do like a sliding fee. So if you make between X amount of money, you know, I charge this much as an hourly rate or, or some just say, you know what, my low bono is the same for everyone. It's half of my hourly rate or whatever the case mm-hmm. might be. Mm-hmm. Different attorneys do different things. I do know, though, that obviously a lot of people ask for pro bono and low bono. And Mm -hmm. as much as we want to help, right, we became lawyers to help. Mm -hmm. We can only take so many pro bono or low bono clients at a time because we still have to pay our own bills. (laughs) Yeah, we have to pay our insurance and we have to pay our rent. And so we aren't, you know, as a solo attorney, especially... When all of that is hanging over me, it is harder for me to take as many pro bono cases. But I don't know personally how you handle things like that, Claire. But for me, I kind of have like a discretionary policy where if I can, you know, like if someone comes in and after I find out about, you know, all of their information and I just know that it's going to be a challenge for them to hire me at my full rate. I would say that we lowered the rate for them or kind of talked through different payment plans or way because if if I can help someone, I want to. And I'm sure you feel the same way, Claire. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely try to do that as much as possible. And I always feel bad when I say I'm at my capacity right now Mm -hmm. for pro bono or low bono clients. Here are some other, you know, resources Mm -hmm. that you might be able to qualify for. But certainly it's, it always feels better to offer the option than to have a client ask for the option. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I understand how that can be difficult for a client because the clients are trying to get the best possible price and find out what's going on and they know how much they can afford to pay. Uh And so certainly I can appreciate when clients, the first question out of their mouth is, well, how much is this going to cost? Uh But uh, the truth of the matter is I usually can't say how much is it going to cost until I know more about the case. Uh Because just because you say, oh, I have, you know, this type of case without any of the background or facts, it's mm-hmm. impossible to say whether your case is going to be a quick open and shut mm-hmm. or it's going to drag on for years. And so a lot of times I won't even kind of give the different pricing options till I've talked with them a little bit more. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And then I guess just one final thing that we want to say, and that is 
if you do hire an attorney on an hourly basis where you're, you gave a retainer amount, Minnesota ethics does require that that attorney keep that money in a separate account, in a separate attorney trust account called an IOLTA account. So it doesn't just go into their business account where they can spend it the next day. Mm-hmm. It's set aside until they've earned it. And then once they've earned it, they've sent you a bill saying, hey, you know, I've billed three hours of time at this hourly rate. Then they can pull that money into their business account. But until then, it's set in a separate attorney client account. Thank you.